All right, so UFC 273. This is my breakdown of the fights going on. And it's just going to be the three main fights. I'm not going to cover the whole card. Um, the cards switched around. I guess some fights were lost, some fights were gained. But either way, I wasn't going to do the whole card anyway. So Hamza Tremaya versus Gilbert Burns. I mean, this is a fight. The, the thing about this is, is that Hamza Chemaev, there's still a lot to learn about him, and the, and the thing there's the thing about this is is like it e either way. Um, the thing about this fight is. It's kind of a lose. It's a lose lose situation for for either fighter, because if Gilbert Burns wins, everyone's gonna say, "Oh, you know, he beat a, a guy who was overrated." But if Hamza Chamayev wins, everyone's gonna say, "Oh, well, Gilbert Burns, he's." You know he he's you know he's been through a lot of fights. He's not that good. Um, you know they're they're gonna make excuses as to why. So either way you look at it, this fight it's one of those. Despite the this fight having really good, you know ramifications, it's gonna go unnoticed to the. It's gonna go unnoticed. So to the MMA fans, like I said, MMA fans suck, and they're not gonna see the the. The truth of the deal. So in in this fight, so going into this fight, it'll be very interesting because the th the thing with Gilbert Burns is his problem is is that he doesn't really use his jiu-jitsu. When he was in the lightweight division, he used his jiu-jitsu all the time, but when he got up to welterweight, he stopped using his jiu-jitsu, and. You know, and, and it's kind of like the same thing that happened with, you know, Jorge Masvidal. You know, when he got up to welterweight, he wasn't really using the things that made him great. He started becoming more centered. He, he started becoming more married to certain techniques. So, you know, we've never really seen Gilbert Burns really use his jiu-jitsu that much. And a lot of that could be the fact that he's carrying on. He's fighting with the extra couple pounds. You know, trying to wrestle with all that weight as well as a bigger opponent is a lot harder than it is, you know, than it is in a different weight class. And that's and that's a big telling thing. Hamza Chamaev, on the other hand, you know, he's a big guy. And it's no secret that he's a pretty big guy because the guy fought at both middleweight and welterweight. And he's definitely a... We all know Hamza Tremaya loves to wrestle. He loves to get people to the ground and beat them. He can knock people out. We've seen him knock guys out. So there's a huge possibility that he might knock out Gilbert Burns, seeing as they're both high-level grapplers and, you know, can easily cancel that out. But the reason why I don't think that's going to be a factor is because, like I said before, Gilbert Burns hasn't used his his jujitsu since being in the welterweight division, and that's something, and that's a very telling thing. You know, if Gilbert Burn, if Gilbert Burns wants to win, he's got to be first, and if he gets taken down, he has to use his jujitsu offensively. He can't use his jujitsu defensively. That's the trick with this style of 
you know, of these style of wrestlers coming from Dagestan is, you know, you can't play defensive. You got to be offensive. And, you know, and it's a little hard to do in Gilbert Burns' case because Gilbert Burns is so explosive and fast twitch and, you know, powerful that, you know, he gets tired as the fight goes on. You know, if he can't somehow keep the pace where, you know, measured to where he can conserve his energy, he's screwed. And Hamza Tamayev looks like he can push a pace, but once again, we don't know. We we won't really know until, you know, until the fight. So, but, uh, it's one of the, it's a it's a tough fight to it's a tough fight to it's a tough fight to pick because either way it can either way it's you know it's kind of a lose lose for either fighter um but like i said we've never seen gilbert burns use his jiu-jitsu since being in the welterweight division he's never once used it so that's a very telling thing. And if you're Hamzat Chemaev, that's something to think about. The fact that your opponent hasn't used their main skill set since being in this weight class. So how I see this fight going, um, I see this fight ending somewhere in the first round. I see this fight, I see this fight honestly ending in the first round. I don't see it going very far. I don't see it going the distance. I don't see it ending in the second. I, I see it ending in the first round. Both guys will come out to a fast start. And I think that, you know, someone's going to get caught with a punch and it'll, and then they'll end up on the ground and that person will be on top and they'll finish the fight in the top position. Um, who will get that? I don't know, but definitely it, it's a very interesting fight. You know, it's a very interesting fight because like I said, Gilbert Burns has never used his Brazilian jiu-jitsu since being in the welterweight division. So, I mean, if he can somehow use it, if he can use it offensively, then great. But if he doesn't, it's over. But yeah, um, I see this fight ending in the first round. Um, I don't know. I don't know. I honestly don't know. I, I don't know who's going to be the victor of that. But if I had to pick, I kind of see Chamayev winning this just because of the things that I said before with Gilbert Burns. Um, I don't think Gilbert Burns. The, the other thing, too, is you got to understand, like, Gilbert Burns, his record, the majority of his fights have all been at lightweight. And he just, like, a lot of guys, you know, Masvidal and uh, who else, who else, who else? From, you know, Masvidal to Michael Chiesa to, you know, um, uh, you know, Donald Cerrone, you know, you know, even Dustin Poirier, who's claimed he's going to move up to welterweight. You know, they, they all spent most of their time at lightweight and to some, you know, to some analysts, they'll consider he's pretty much a blown up lightweight. He is technically a blown up lightweight, you know, so that's something to consider going into this as well but uh I kind of think Chamayev might get this victory just because stylistically I think it suits Chamayev a lot more but you know you never know but either way I see this fight ending in the first round no doubt regardless who wins <sighs> so the co-main event and um you might want to say a prayer for 
Aljamain. But uh, yeah, Aljamain Sterling versus Peter Yan. Um, there's a lot of there's a lot of things that you could go over in this fight, and a couple of things, but there's but but there's a few main things that stick out, and I don't think a lot of people are overlooking. I think a lot of people are overlooking it. One of them being is. Peter Yan being a slow starter. He's absolutely not a slow starter. The thing is, but the thing is, Peter Yan is a fighter that fights on efficiency, where Aljamain Sterling operates on activity. There's a difference between a fighter who were, who operates on efficiency versus a fighter who operates on, e on activity. And that was the key factor going into the first fight, activity versus efficiency. There was a clear difference, you know. There was a clear difference. Now, a lot of people were saying, you know, Peter, you know, Aljamain was winning the fight in the beginning. But the thing is, is he wasn't winning the fight. You know, I know it looked like he was winning the fight because he was doing more activity. But if you watch the fight, I always say, you know, you watch the fight with the sound off and, you know, with the sound off, there's a lot of things that you see. Aljamain wasn't landing a lot of the shots that he, you know, a lot of people claimed you know he wasn't able to get the takedowns he was getting hit with some solid shots was missing a lot and you know it was one of those things you know he he only got one takedown he, you know he was being controlled you know there was moments where he would put Peter Yan up against the fence Peter Yan would reverse him and press him against the fence there was a lot of work and then we can't forget the knockdown in the end of the first round. There was a lot of work that Peter Yan did in the first two rounds that led into what was happening in the later rounds. It's just people never noticed it because, once again, Aljamain was the more active fighter. Peter Yan was the more efficient fighter. And when you're the more efficient fighter, your activity isn't going to be at as high of an output as the fighter who's focused on being more active because you're focused on you know being more measured with your movements and calculated so your activity is going to be at a, at a measured level so that's the thing going into this fight is you know peter yan is not a slow starter and you know i'm pretty sure aljamain is counting on that you know you know i think a lot of guys are technically counting on that but like i said if you watch peter yan's fights from Corey sanhagen to out to the first aljamain fight to even the you know fight with jose aldo he was not a slow starter in either one of those fights he's just a fighter that focuses he's just a fighter that focuses on efficiency rather rather than activity so that's why but yeah so um so, you know, that that's a m big major thing that a lot of people seem to be overlooking in this fight. You know, um, the fact that there's people who actually believe that Aljamain might win this fight is is kind of hilarious. I mean, it, it possible, but it's not probable. You know, possibilities are not the same as probabilities. And the probability of Aljamain beating Peter Yan is very unlikely. The, the thing that you have to understand is Peter Yan, you also have to understand... Aljamain Sterling in all of his fights has always been the same. His style has been the same. His movements have been the same. Nothing has changed. Nothing has really grew from that. Okay? Uh, grew from that. Peter Yan, on the other hand, 
he is a different fighter every time he fights. He never fights the same. His his movements are the same. His techniques are the same. That's the and that's one and that's a very telling thing. You know, if you watch, you know, Peter Yan and the Jose Aldo fight, completely different from the Peter Yan in the first Aljamain fight. And if you watch Peter Yan and the Corey Sandhagen fight, he's different from when he fought in the first Aljamain Sterling fight. And it's because Peter Yan, you could tell Peter Yan is always improving. He's always training. Where it's like Aljamain Sterling, he doesn't necessarily, you can tell he doesn't necessarily improve that much. You know, um, you know, yeah, you know, don't get me wrong, he probably still trains and works hard, but you can tell he's not growing out of he's not growing out of his style. He's not evolving. You could tell Peter Yan is always training. You could tell you can tell Peter Yan is always training. He's always improving. It's evident in every fight because in every fight, there's a different Peter Yan where in every fight Aljamain Sterling has been in, it's always been the same Aljamain Sterling. So that's something to consider going into this fight, which which is definitely going to play a factor because you can tell that Aljamain Sterling is betting on Peter Yan fighting like the Peter Yan in the first fight, you know, when you listen to him talk in the press conferences, you know, he's still believing he's going to fight the same Peter Yan from the first fight he had with Peter Yan, but he doesn't understand that that Peter Yan is a different Peter Yan from the Peter Yan you're fighting now, and I don't think he realizes that, you know, um, it was very clear, you know, in the Corey Sandhagen fight that Peter Yan was not the same Peter Yan from the from that first Aljamain fight, and it's definitely going to be like that going into this second fight. You know, it, it's going to be very evident. Another thing is, is um, you know, the the thing also you got to understand is once again, you know, Aljamain Sterling, you know, he you know he claimed he was. You have to understand, you know, Aljamain Sterling, he he was getting his ass whooped, and when you're getting your ass whooped, you have to understand, Aljamain Sterling when you're a fighter and this affects a lot of guys when you're a fighter who's really good in a in a specific area like you you know this is your strength and a guy comes in and beats you at your own game and beats you at your own game that affects you that really gets into your head more so than a lot of people realize and peter yan was out wrestling Aljamain Sterling, who on paper is a far better wrestler than Peter Yan is. But Peter Yan was out wrestling him. He was taking him down. He was pretty much manhandling him in those clinch, in the clinch, you know, in the clinch, in the takedowns. It was, it was one of those things, you know, it was just, it was really mind boggling because in a lot of people's minds, and even my mind, I thought, well, if anything, Aljamain Sterling is going to be getting the majority of the takedowns, while Peter Yan will be getting the better of the strikes. But that wasn't the case. Peter Yan was dominating in both the strikes and the takedowns, you know? And so that was really telling, you know? And that was, that was a really telling thing. And you can tell, and I think that was really a telling thing. And when that happens, it, it really gets to a fighter. It affects their ego, you know, especially when you're known for being this really, really good at this one thing and someone beats you at your, beats you at your own game, which hence, which is henceforth 
why Aljamain Sterling has been going out of his way to talk crap. You know, because Peter Yan is in his head. He knows that deep down, Peter Yan is better than him. He knows that this guy is good. And the fact that this guy beat him at his own game, it, it you know, it got to him. You can tell it got to his head. So he's trying to... so. So right, so he's trying to build up the courage and the fire to fight him, and not only to give him the confidence that he's going to conquer Peter Yan, you know, which is why, if you haven't been paying attention to the, the to the build up and the press conferences, he says, "I picture myself taking him down, climbing his back, and choking him out." It's like, well. You did that the last time. You tried that the last time and you got screwed. <laughs> you know, you tried that the last time and it didn't work out. So what's going to be different? And there's really nothing he can say because and there's nothing nothing he can say because he's trying to build up he's trying to muster up the courage. You know, he's trying to he's trying to He's trying to, it's, it's, it's hard to explain. He's trying to pump himself up. That's pretty much what it is. He's trying to pump himself up because he knows deep down that Peter Yan is better than him. He knows Peter Yan, you know, beat him at his own game and he know he know beat him at his own game. And he knows that it's a huge possibility that it could happen again. And so he's trying to pump himself up into this belief that, Hey, I can, you know, I'm going to take him down and take his back, you know, you know, it was really clear. It was really clear that Peter Yan had gotten into Aljamain Sterling's head. It was pretty clear, you know, but from the way Aljamain has been acting from the way, from the things he's been saying, the way he's been talking, it's clear that Peter Yan is in Aljamain Sterling's head because, you know, you know, Peter Yan was getting the better of him. He was, you know, he was, he pretty much was outclassing him. So, you know, Aljamain's, another thing is too is, and this is one of the reasons why I think Aljamain Sterling is going to lose. Let me see. Let me, let me get this. Um, Aljamain Sterling is living in the last war. And Robert Greene in 33 Strategies of War talks about it. Um, it's called the chapter two, do not fight the last war. And pretty much what that means is, you know, don't, don't live in the past, you know, don't, don't live in the past because when you get stuck in the past, You'll never, you're, you'll never evolve and be prepared for the future. And to, to, to explain this, I'm going to read a part of it. What most often weighs you down and brings you misery is the past in the form of unnecessary attachments, repetitions of tired formulas, and the memory of old victories and defeats. You must constantly wage war against the past and force yourself to react to the present moment. Be ruthless on yourself. Do not repeat the same tired methods. Sometimes you must force yourself to strike out in new directions, even if they involve risk. 
What you may lose in comfort and security, you will gain in surprise, making it harder for your enemies to tell what you will do. Wage guerrilla warfare on your mind, allowing no static lines of defense, no exposed citadels, and making everything fluid and mobile. So pretty much what this so pretty much and what this entails is and we've seen this happen to fighters is a fighter gets a big win they get a devastating loss they have a credible fight or they have a big moment in a fight and what happens is they form an unnecessary attachment to it and what happen and when they do that it weighs them down and they never evolve or grow or you know be they never evolve or grow or move on to bigger and better things because they're so attached to that thing that they're unnecessarily attaching themselves to. Aljamain Sterling is doing that. It is pretty clear that Aljamain Sterling is still fighting the last war. He is still believing that this is the first fight with Peter Yan, and he is still in that first fight with Peter Yan. That fight's gone. That fight doesn't exist anymore. He needs to let it go. He needs to move forward and treat this as a new, improved Peter Yan. And you can tell that he still he hasn't done that from the way that he's talking, from the way that he's described when talking about his training. You know, you hear him in the press conferences. He's still bitching about how the fact that Peter Yan got the title shot before him. And, you know... And when hearing him talk about, hearing him still bitch about something that was two years ago, you know, that was two years ago, it is still, it's still very, it's, it's honestly, it's asinine. And if you are, and if I was in Aljamain Sterling's corner, I'd be very concerned. The fact that you're still reminiscing, the fact that you still have a very unnecessary attachment to these past events you know, like as if they're still current is, is honestly, it's very, it's very shocking. It's very concerning because if you're still living in that, because if you're still living in that, you know, in that past event, well then obviously you're not, you're not going to, obviously you're not prepared for the present of what's about to come. And it was, and that's pretty, and it's pretty clear that that's what's happening, what's going to happen. That's pretty much, it's pretty much clear that that's what's happening to Aljamain Sterling. He's not, he's not fighting in the presence. He's fighting the last war. He's still living in the past, you know, still thinking it's the first fight, that it's 2020, and that he got screwed out of the title shot, you know, and that he's still fighting the Peter Yan from the first fight when it's, when that's not the case. And it's obvious. So, you know, um, it's a very, it's pretty, it's pretty clear going into this, but, um, like I said, and, and if I was his corner, I'd be very concerned. I would be very, very concerned because it's like, dude, you have this unnecessary attachment to these past events that happened two years ago and a fight that happened a year ago. It, it's over. It's done. It's, it just let it go. It's over with. There's no point in, there's no point in reminiscing on it. Focus on the now focus on what's happening in front of you. And it's clear that he's not, um, I don't think P, you know, I, it's clearly that it's not. So, um, how I see this fight going where, I'm oh, sorry. And whereas like Peter Yan, 
you can tell Peter Jan is, you know, not fighting the last war. You could tell, you know, when he fought Corey Sanhagen, he was very like, no, nope, well, Algernon Sterling's out. All I could do is focus on Corey Sanhagen. What happened, you know, what happened in the first fight happened in the first fight. I just got to move on and reclaim the belt. And that's exactly what he did when he fought Corey Sanhagen. And that's exactly what he's doing fighting Algernon Sterling. He's not living in the, he's not fighting the last war. He's completely focused on fighting the present war that's in front of him. So it's pretty evident. Um, it's pretty evident. So how do I see this fight going? Um, I see this fight going three rounds. Peter Yan beats Aljamain Sterling. I see this fight going where I, I see this fight pretty much going the way the first fight went. But this time, Peter Yan is going to be a little more aggressive. Um, Honestly, not even how the first fight. I see this fight ending in three rounds with Peter Yan getting the victory. Um, I don't see, I don't think Aljamain Sterling, I see Aljamain Sterling coming out the same way that he's always come out. Throws a bunch of wild stuff, dives for the takedown. You know, Peter Yan stuffs it, gets back up, maybe presses Aljamain Sterling to the fence, maybe takes him down, beats him up, starts walking him down. Not maybe knocks him down two times, and as as that progresses, it goes further and further into the fight. Aljamain gets stopped in the third. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if Peter Yan takes him down and stops him on the ground. I mean, I think Peter Yan's ground game is very underrated. It's clear that this guy is very well-rounded, you know, as in the times where we saw him on the ground. I would not be surprised if Peter Yan takes him down multiple times in the fight or takes him down and finishes him early in the fight. I, I honestly think that could happen. But, uh, yeah, I see Peter Yan being Algermain Sterling by finish in three rounds and whether it's knockout or TKO but I definitely see whether it's knockout or TKO I definitely see Peter Jan finishing Aljamain Sterling in the first three rounds of the fight um, I just don't see how Aljamain is going to win this I mean he could come out he could come out but and do something shocking but once again Pro there's a huge difference between probabilities and possibilities and when you look at this fight objectively and you break it down to the science of it all it's pretty clear that Aljamain is going to be the same Aljamain Peter Yan's going to be a different Peter Yan and Peter and you know I think Aljamain is really hoping that he can get Peter Yan in the early rounds but as I said before it's clear that he's not a slow starter Peter Yan is not a slower starter. He just operates on efficiency rather than activity. But, you know, I mean, hey, some, we all got to learn sometime, right? So, you know, and just like I said before, you know, Aljamain Sterling, he's fighting, he's fighting the last war. He's not fighting the present war, which is going to be the major factor in why he's going to lose this fight. And I see it ending within three rounds. Peter Yan by KO or TKO. And then Alexander Volkanovsky versus the Korean Zombie. Originally, this was supposed to be the third fight between Holloway and Volkanovsky, but Holloway fell out due to injury. So, Zombie stepped in. This is an interesting fight because, I mean, 
I mean, I mean, it's very interesting going into this fight because it, here's the thing: Korean Zombie, he shines when fights are a brawl, but he has shown that he can be extremely technical when he sets his mind to it. And what I mean by that is, is like his first fight with Leonard Garcia was a fight brawl dog fight. Then the second fight, he was extremely technical, picked him apart, finished him with the twister. And, and that's kind of been the case with Korean zombie throughout his career is one minute he's into these brawls next minute, you know, he's super technical, you know, brawl, technical, brawl, technical. And in his last fight, not with Ige, but before when he fought Brian Ortega, you know, he was in brawling mode. But when he fought Ige, he was in technical mode. So the question going into this fight is, who's gonna, who, what type of zombie are we going to see? The zombie who brawls or the zombie who's technical? Because, you know, the thing with Alexander Volkanovsky is that Alexander Volkanovsky, Alexander Volkanovsky has shown that he can shine in a brawl and he can shine in a technical affair. You know, as we've seen in his fights leading up to the title, as we've seen in his fight, you know, as we've seen in his fights with, you know, Max Holloway, and Jose Aldo, you know, and even with, um, and even with, you know, Brian Ortega, you know, Brian Ortega pretty much, you know, put him in some tough situations and he shined, you know, Alexander Volkanovsky, I think is probably one of the most underrated featherweights in MMA. And I think it's good. It's kind of sad. I mean, I mean, it, it'll be very interesting. You know, he he's he's. It's very. It's gonna be very sad because he's probably one of those featherweights that's not gonna get his just due because of the controversy with that second fight with Max Holloway, and I think Max is. And it's gonna be very unfortunate. I think he's gonna, but I I think he's gonna be one of the greatest featherweights, if not one of the best fighters of all time. And I honestly see him carrying, you got to think featherweight division, always a stacked division, no matter what organization you go. He has 20 fights, 20 wins under his belt, but before he came to the UFC, adding on to his victories in the UFC, this guy honestly could definitely be one of the best featherweights and not in the UFC, but outside the UFC as well. And I would not be surprised if, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if he left the UFC and then went on a campaign to reclaim titles because he can do it. I honestly think he can do it. And of all those guys in featherweight, I think he can do it, you know. But, um, you know, the thing is, the, it's very interesting because the, the thing is, is like, it's very interesting because Alexander Volganovsky is a short guy with long arms. He's very durable and he has great movement. He's always mobile. You know, he doesn't stand in front of his opponents. He's always throwing feints, setting up his shots. And that's one of the big things, telling things. And that's one of the two major factors of his game is that he's extremely mobile and he has long arms. 
you know, and that's that's going to be a key. And I think those two are going to be key factors going into this fight. You know, I said this before when he fought Brian Ortega. You know, the, the thing that I've always said, MMA fighters, if there's one thing that MMA fighters lack is leg mobility. They have zero legs. You know, they, they get into situations where they have to move their legs around. They have to move their feet and they start getting tired. They start to become sloppy. You know, and, you know, they just, they don't look as good. And it's because, you know, they have no leg mobility. You know, you got to have legs. I don't care who you are. You know, every fighter has to have legs. You got to have strong legs. You got to have leg mobility. Great leg conditioning, you know. And if not, I mean, you know, legs are essential. So, and when in Volkanovsky's case, he has legs. He doesn't, you know, and in Volkanovsky's case, He's a guy who has legs, you know, it's pretty clear, you know, you know, and like I said, in Volkanovski's case, he has legs and that's one of the main things of why his game is so good is that he has legs and because he has legs, it makes it harder for guys to keep up with him because, because they're constantly on the move. I mean, because he's, you know, because he's making them be constantly on the move. The only time where we saw Volkanovski face somebody who had that same type of leg mobility was Alexander, was Max Holloway. Max Holloway was the only guy who was able to keep up with him in that fact because he had leg mobility. Um, but and other fact, but when it came to other fighters, they couldn't necessarily keep up with them because they didn't have the leg mobility. You know, you saw that when he fought Chad Mendez, Jose Aldo, um, even when he fought, you know, even when he fought, you know, Brian Ortega, you know, Brian Ortega, you know, you know, Brian Ortega was good, but the problem was, you know, Brian Ortega just didn't have the leg mobility. And, you know, and of course, you know, I'm pretty sure the weight cut also affected him. But that leg mobility, you know, legs are essential, you know. And that's one of the key factors going into this fight is how is Korean Zombie going to fare, you know, dealing with the leg mobility of Alexander Volkanovsky. Because that's going to be a very telling thing. You know, that's going to be a very telling thing. Because if he has to move his legs, he's going to, it's going to affect his power. It's, it's not going. You know, because the leg mobility. It's going to be very, it's going to be very, very telling, you know, um, it's going to affect zombie stamina. It's going to affect zombies power. It's going to affect zombies technique, unless zombies been working on his footwork to where he can set up traps and close the distance. But even then too, I mean, but, but even then too, I mean, well, there, there's ways of setting up traps. Whenever dealing with a fighter who has great leg mobility, there are, there are traps. 
you know, there, there are traps that you can set to, you know, slow them down. But here's the thing, though. Alexander Volkanovsky does have good footwork, too. He doesn't just have leg mobility. He also has the technique. He has footwork, which also helps him cut those angles, you know, cut those angles and change up the distances and, you know, get in and out without getting hit too much and be effective all at the same time. So, you know, so, so that, that's going to be very interesting going into that. Um, I mean, like I said, there, there's ways for zombie to do that, but I mean, that depends if he's been working on his footwork and his ability to close distances. And, and even then too, it's like, like I said, that leg mobility can be su is such a factor that it can really it could really you know affect him it could really affect his ability in setting up those traps another thing too that you also have to think about that I've said is Alexander Volkanovsky has a very long reach for a guy who's short and stocky and we saw how effective that is in his fight with Max Holloway and his fight with Brian Ortega, two tall guys who on paper should have had the reach advantage, but we're having trouble due to, but we're having trouble due to Volkanovsky's reach advantage. And that's the same thing. And that's the same case with, you know, the Korean zombie, you know, and that's the same case with the Korean zombie, you know, he, you know, you know, that's the same case with the Korean zombie is, you know, he's used to being the tall guy having the long reach. And now he's dealing with a short stocky guy who has long reach, if not longer reach than him. So, I mean, I mean, so I... I mean, so, I mean, so that, that's going to be an issue for zombie. You know, zombies used to getting that, that counter that he gets, he's used to getting that pull counter that he's gotten over, you know, short opponents. But once again, you know, when we're talking about physicality, it's not going to be that easy getting that type of pull counter that he likes to get. He likes to get that pull counter where he throws the uppercut or the the right hand over the top. You know, he likes to get that pull counter where he goes, throws the uppercut or that right hand over the top. And, you know, when he's dealing with short fighters and yeah, you know, that works against and that's worked against short fighters in the past, but he's not dealing with just any regular short fighter. He's dealing with a short fighter who has long reach, you know, if, if not longer reach than him. So how is he going to get those counters when he's dealing with that long reach? And that's the problems that we, and that was the problems that Holloway had. That was the problems that, you know, uh, Brian Ortega had and, you know, Volkanovski's crafty and he's tough. So how I see this fight going, um, I see this fight going the way of the Brian Ortega fight, you know, with Alexander Volkanovsky dominating the fight, you know, scoring, getting just outworking zombie. And then somewhere in the fourth, maybe fifth round, he catches Volkanovsky, almost finishes him. But Volkanovsky just digs deep, 
pulls out the victory and racks another another win under his belt. Um, is it possible for Korean Zombie to win? Yes. If Zombie wants to win, he's got to be technical. If he tries to make it a brawl, I think he's just going to get outworked and and just be overrun by, you know, Volkanovski's work rate because I think that's exactly I think that's exactly what's going to happen. And if you know, I think that's exactly what's going to happen. And I think that if I mean and I think that if Zombie wants to win, he has to be technical. He has to be smart. You know, I think that was one of the things that what made Max Holloway so successful was Max Holloway was extremely technical. He was extremely smart. He, you know, he kept everything basic. He kept everything basic. He picked his shots well. And that's pretty much what you got to do with, you know, the. that's pretty much what you, I think that's pretty much what Corey Zombie has to do. He's got to just stay solid in one stance, pick his shots, you know, keep it basic, you know, pick his shots, keep it, keep it basic. And when he does that, you know, keep his shots. I mean, pick his shots. Keep it basic, have that one solid solid stance, and just kind of, you know, just have that one solid stance. Because as we've seen, because as we've seen with, you know, Max Holloway in the second Max Holloway fight, when Max Holloway fought in a solid stance and just kind of marched forward on Volkanovsky, it kind of kept Volkanovsky in this state of off balance because you know, he was throwing from one solid stance, you know, when he kept, as we, you know, he was throwing from one solid stance, and because he kept that strong foundation, it made it hard for Volkanovsky to really get a rhythm going, you know, because he just kept, you know, he kept, you know, he kept, he stayed in that solid stance and kept marching forward, you know, that's kind of what, you know, that that's what the Korean zombie has to do. He has to take one solid stance and just he has to take one solid stance, pick his shots and just kind of march forward on and just and just kind of and march forward on the Korean zombie. He can't he can't, you know, and just march forward on the Korean zombie. I mean, no, sorry, 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 sorry. I messed up on that. What, what zombie has to do is. He has to pretty much do what Max Holloway did in the second fight. Just take one solid stance and fight from there. If he, you know, if he makes that mistake of trying to, if, you know, as we've seen with, um, in the Max Holloway fight, he has to take that one solid stance and just kind of keep the, keep the combinations basic and just march forward on Volkanovski. You know, when you watch his second fight with Max Holloway, that's kind of what he did. He kept that one solid stance, and because of that, it made it hard. It kept my, he has to, you know, and because he kept that one solid stance, it made it hard for Volkanovski. It kept Volkanovski off balance. It made it hard for Volkanovski to really get anything going because he maintained that solid foundation. You know, as we've seen in fights, whenever you're dealing with a guy who switches stances a lot, a lot of times taking one solid stance keeps him is a, is mo is one of the most effective ways to go, and it keeps him off balance. You know, and that's pretty much what you know. And that, that seems to be the blueprint 
to beating Volkanovski because that's what Max Holloway did to Volkanovski. He just took one solid stance and just fought from there. And because he took that one solid stance, it made Volkanovski off balance. It kept him off balance through the throughout the duration of the fight, you know, until Max Holloway tapered off, you know. And so that's pretty much what I think. That's pretty much what Zombie has to do. He has to stay technical, take one solid stance, and just stay in that one solid stance and just pick Volkanovski apart. And that's what he has to do. Um, if he tries to get into a brawl, if he tries to do anything other than that, he's going to lose. But other than that, I see this fight going the distance with Volkanovski with some crazy moments happening, I think, in the later portions of the fight. And Volkanovski, you know, getting the better of it. So, so yeah, but that's my breakdown. See, you know, we'll talk about the fights after. And thanks for listening.